0: Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along show.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 127. Tonight's show is brought to you by Kenny is better than most people at most things. That's a hell of a thing. We might need to break that down to an acronym for the show title. (laughs) That'd be really funny. Kenny, did I ever send you any of the why is your dick out on my boat stickers? I never got one of those. I'll fix that. (laughs) Sweet.
0: You mean you'll ask me to send them?
1: (laughs) I'll have my assistant do that for me. (laughs) She can do it with a black eye.
0: (laughs) Good luck with that.
1: (laughs) And the next show would be like, yeah, I was at the dentist all week. (laughs) (laughs) Getting my teeth put back in my face after I picked them out of my own shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a violent person.
1: You're not, you know what? Let's just move on. Domestic violence isn't a joke, so.
0: That's true. That's true. But it's Andrea
1: not. would beat the ever-loving shit out of me if I ever laid hands on her.
0: That's also true. <laughs> I'd
1: have about as much luck beating up Andrea as I would. Actually, this is something my dad used to say. Boy, you'd rather scratch a bobcat's ass with a handful of cuckold burrs than mess with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh,
1: in a telephone booth.
0: In a telephone booth? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's a very Johnnyism. That is. I mean, Did the, he make that the up bobcat
1: himself? might like that. I don't think so. <laughs> Let me word this differently. I'm not going to kink shame the bobcat, but I'm not going to find out because I think their safe word is uh, killing you, pulling your eyes out.
0: Yeah, I mean, they would probably like a bobcat's pretty formidable, but you know, you would stand a chance against one if one really came after you. Like you'd get hurt pretty bad, but you might be able to defend yourself.
2: Maybe we don't realize. Maybe the best offense for a Bobcat is to um, grate its asshole
1: with scratchy things. I don't know. Nobody... (laughs) I don't think anyone's ever done it, so...
0: Oh, boy. What a great start to this show.
1: I've got a a little trivia nugget, but I got to pull it up on my phone from... He doesn't text me very often, but when he does, it's always great, and it makes my day. Tim Krueger, one of our patrons and owner of Esker Cycles, texted me, Good morning trivia. Where did the top lock stem originate? And he says, The salsa stiff upper lip. No idea. No idea. And I asked him if he made that, and he said it was before my time, and I said, I didn't realize there was a before Tim time, and that was calling him old.
2: (laughs) Do we know what year that was?
1: No clue. We then started talking about old trucks that don't run.
2: Easton was doing it a decent amount in like 2008-ish. So I'm assuming this is before
1: that. That's the sound of someone Googling. Oh, what? they've re- they've reused that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Was the stiff upper lip just a stem or is
2: that a whole bike?
1: I think it's just a stem.
2: I'm also Googling.
1: Hmm. Andrew, are we going to get into new shit we probably hate? You usually kick that off. But she's also drinking too. Yeah, I
0: was just waiting for you guys to finish, I don't know, talking about whatever you were talking about.
1: Clickety clacking around. It looks like the salsa,
2: there was a salsa Moto Ace stem. Oh, gosh, that's a two bolt stem. God, those should, those were gross. Even before I knew a lot about things, two bolt stems grossed me out.
1: I definitely was riding a two bolt stem on my Amanda. And I, I mean, I, I use torque wrenches. I'm not just going to be like, oh, I used a torque wrench, but I used a torque wrench. I really did, because I was a little freaked out, because it was a two-bolt stem, and I was descending really fast, and I hit a pothole, and my road bars rotated, <clears throat> and I was like, well, shit, I can't really hold the hoods anymore, and I grabbed the drops, and I just went, <gasps> and pushed it back to like close to where it belonged, and uh, that was the last time I rode that stem. <sighs> What what mic was that on? The Amanda. That's what I just said.
0: Oh, sorry. I was reading this article about a lawsuit.
2: So there's a possibility that the stiff upper lip maybe originated around a two-bolt stem plate, stem face. It's pretty wild. Anyway, but this particular article, this may not be as far back as it needs to go, was 2009. So maybe in that ballpark. I think it's fair to say maybe 2008, 2009-ish. But who knows? Maybe there was a I don't know who made old bike shit profile designs. (laughs) I have, I don't know. Somebody maybe made some goofy ass old STEM that nobody remembers back in the day of Cook Brothers cranks and other weird stuff. Do you remember those Cook Brothers cranks?
1: Uh, yeah, they were sort of popular in like fringe BMX stuff when I was coming up. Okay. You know, Late 90s, early 2000s, but I just always remember that everyone I knew had problems with them. So they were really skinny and I
2: assume really flexy, but they looked unlike anything else. So they looked really cool and they looked premium. And they were definitely not just cast, they were, you know, machined out, which looks really cool. But I could only imagine how flexy those are. So that's everyone's homework is to go look up Cook Brothers uh, cranks because they were pretty interesting looking. And I I can only imagine how flexy. Imagine. So, for those that are driving, uh, close your eyes. Thank you, Kenny. <laughs> and imagine a one-piece steel crank that's bent from an old melted-down fence post that's on every single Walmart bike, essentially. So, those one-piece steel cranks that are ultra skinny. Imagine yeah. that, but slightly classier is what a Cook mm-hmm. Brothers crank looks like.
0: I think I know. I can picture that.
2: Yep. Okay. So, what? Uh, <laughs> Where a little bike we going industry news.
0: <laughs> do you want to get into some uh, news and shit? Yes, that's All go. Right. Uh Mondraker is opening a North American base in Boulder, Colorado, which I have to say that's got to be a little tough. Um they're supposed to open in January of 2024. It's got to be tough for a bike brand. Like do you pick a kind of biking mecca like Boulder and pay a bazillion dollars in rent for your Place along with the fact that you have to pl- you have to pay your employees more because your employees also have to live in that town or close to it. Uh, or do you want to move to some place like I don't know Ohio where your rent is a quarter of what it would be in Boulder and just in general the cost of living is cheaper? So uh, that's I don't know. I mean I, that's that's got to be an odd choice for some uh, companies.
1: There's got to be a middle ground.
0: Yeah, yeah, like Minneapolis or something. I don't know. That's the first one that comes to mind. I'm thinking of.
1: Yeah, or even I mean, Mondraker makes downhill bikes. Like hell, move to Tennessee. You got Windrock Bike Park. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: Georgia went to the south for a reason. They were like, "Hey, everyone in California, will pay you the same, and you'll be hood rich."
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think what company just moved to Bentonville?
1: Uh, Vittoria, Rafa, um. I don't know if they're in Bentonville. They have a clubhouse there for sure, though. Um,
0: <laughs> but Bentonville is basically... Uh, and this isn't just... So I used to be the conspiracy theorist and people thought I was nuts saying that there was something going on with like the Waltons and all the corporations up there being weird with Bentonville. They have like manufactured a Colorado mountain town out of Bentonville. And that's not just coming from me. That's coming from people that are in that area. They're like, holy shit, all of a sudden my rent has doubled and there are all these tourists here. What the fuck? And yeah, uh, real estate has gone through the roof there.
1: Oh, weird. You mean a lot of money is put into development of public projects and the quality of life is greatly increased somewhere, so it costs more to live there? Wow. Who would have thought?
0: Well, yeah, but instead of it being kind of an organic thing that happens, You have like several large corporations. It's called the Runway Group. They actually have a name for this. You can look them up on the internet. No, I
1: I mean I understand that, but like when you're when you don't live in a little shithole anymore with (laughs) thirty miles of trails, and you suddenly have hundreds of miles of trails, more people are going to want to be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean I I get
0: it, but it's like this group of this corporate group got together and said we want to manufacture this mountain town out of Bentonville, Arkansas and they did it. They have done it. Like it is happening and there are some people that are unhappy about it. Uh, You know like it's it's the double-edged sword like you yeah you have this amazing trail system. They've done they've done great work. I'm not saying that it's a shitty place or the trails are shitty or anything. It's it's pretty fucking awesome but it's been Kind of just artificially, I don't know, artificially might not be the right word, but it's it's been done in order for people with a fuck ton of money to be able to make more fuck tons of money.
1: Also, see previous statement. <laughs> Someone spends a lot of money to make somewhere nicer. They probably want a return on their investment. They're like, step one, build trails for us to ride. Step two, build more trails for no, us to ride. No,
0: step one was, well, step it was step no, zero. How no. do we make more money? How do we hoard more wealth? We no, it, make a mountain town out of Bentonville, Arkansas.
2: So Andrea's <laughs> Andrea's political platform. Keep it third world, bitches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just saying. Don't
2: touch my hut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just saying that corporations are evil. And even if they're building trail systems, they don't have your best interest at heart. That's all. Of I'm saying.
1: course, they don't have your best interests at heart, but like, who does?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we <can't>. don't <laughs> make we meth great again. <laughs> oh boy, good stuff. So, okay, so we should, on, we should
2: probably on. move on.
0: Uh, REI is opening ten more stores in twenty twenty four to better serve outdoor communities.
2: They also closed a. Do you correct? Yeah. Or like on the verge of, right?
0: Yeah, it's not in this press release. This is on Bicycle Retailer.
2: They did. I've heard, I've heard was, a lot was, of guardrail yeah. to guardrail type stuff with REI where they are, they're growing and they were, I don't know a lot about REI here, right? So I'm just going to say what I think from my little viewpoint because I, I don't know them. I don't really harbor them any goodwill or illwill. I'm just saying what I see over here. Anyway, they seem to be you know, they were growing and they were getting popular. And as that was happening, they seemed to try to spend a decent amount of money and time and effort in making their appearance as in, as if like we care about things and the environment and our employees and all the things, which might've been true, might've not been true. Don't know, don't really care, but they seem to really be pushing that. And then I guess employees, started, uh, yeah, they just wanted, they wanted kind of more and more and more. Who knows? Again, there's probably a lot of stuff that I don't know about, but yeah, they tried to like unionize a bunch of stores and then they're like, you guys suck and we deserve more money and all the things. So it's kind of weird like this. I don't want to say hippy dippy, but like this company that was trying to like put on this face of being good and maybe they truly were down to its core. I really don't know, but it's just weird that it seems like every news article I see is that like whole, you know, bunch of employees at REI are pissed off about XYZ and it's just weird to me, right? Like why why are all these employees wanting to unionize and getting pissy and all this? It's just it's weird, right? What do you guys think?
0: Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I was just looking at an article. It looks like they cut Last year, 275 jobs, and they closed a store in uh, Santa Monica, California, close closes on February 29th of 2024.
2: And who knows what's involved there, right? Like any any big company, as you get really big, you're going to go through growing pains and you're going to, um, you know, who knows, probably go from having a, a really good HR department to not being able to keep up to, you know, whatever. It just happens as you're growing. and. Any smart business that wants to stay in business has to constantly reevaluate the whole thing, right? You probably need to not be a dumbass and put your head in the sand. And instead, you should look at numbers and be like, okay, our Santa Monica store is losing its ass. Is it because we're in an unfavorable lease or unfavorable whatever other real estate deal they have going on? Is it because labor's too expensive? Is it because there's too much theft? Is it because nobody buys shit there? Like all these things, right? So uh, it's not here's like unusual. A little blurb.
0: In this this article, so you were asking about why are employees there pissed off. Uh, one of the people that was laid off uh, in that wh- what I was just talking about was this guy who was a shipping and receiving lead at a flagship store. He had worked there for four years. He said uh this, you know, this uh They interviewed him, and he said that there was no clarity in what his role meant, so he supported different departments in the store with inventory management. His lead position had more responsibilities than the job description had provided. So uh, I guess it's that kind of stuff.
2: Maybe. Who knows? I mean, I've got lots of thoughts on that, right? Like, So um, I don't want to necessarily get into all that because I'll make people sad. But (laughs) yeah, who knows? The moral of the story is it seems like for whatever reason, I don't know why I feel like I just see REI in the news so much. And maybe it's because they are a bigger player. Like obviously my focus is on IBD stuff. So I read Bicycle Retailer and all the news and articles related to retailing bicycles, right? So maybe that's why I see REI a lot because they are uh, a big bicycle dealer. They have a lot of locations. They carry Cannondale and other people. So, and they've also been, as they were growing, they were rustling a lot of feathers with IBDs, right? So. Um, it's just interesting to me like why do i see them why do i see them in the news so often and i've never had any bad experience by the way at any rei Uh, i've only been in one or two in my life i think in colorado i went into one to get some snow gear uh for a ski trip and it was fine and they had stuff in stock uh but that's yeah that's about it
0: so they're they're opening in ohio oregon arizona new york a uh, different place in California, and then uh, Durango, Colorado, and St. Saint jo- Saint George, Utah. Oh. Yeah. In
2: 2025. 20, right. Get out of here. Yeah,
0: that's in 2025, so.
2: Get out of my state.
0: <laughs> All right, let's get into some actual bike industry news. Uh, we had one of our patrons asked on Patron Slack uh, which or what we thought about the new Envy Drive Straight Pull Hubs. Uh, they look pretty cool, but they're road only. And do so, you think
1: that's a collaboration with Mavic? I couldn't tell. I mean, at this point, I'm sure you could be like, hey, Mavic, you want a dollar? And they'd be like, yes. Oh, and also remind me, like I can't a- keep up with it. Like,
2: Envy and Mavic have changed hands so many times that I don't even know what's going on anymore, especially Mavic. At, at one point, they were under the same... Right? They were under the banner. same roof at one point. Yeah. But and obviously, then, Mavic is not involved with Envy
1: anymore. Hold on. I... I've got some pretty good info here. Okay. Um, And then Mavic sold all of their North American inventory in 2019 or 20, probably 20, and closed all U.S. operations. And then very recently, they have brought back a Mavic North America presence, and we haven't really seen anything since that announcement. But who... Who was driving the ship? Who was the parent company of
2: Mavic at the time when they divested all of their North American stuff? Was it Do you know? Amer
0: Sports? Was it? Because at oh, one I point,
2: f- Amer, and maybe there was another parent even above Amer, but let's call it Amer. So Amer and Envy and Mavic were all like kind of together for a minute. That's the last I remember.
1: Yeah, but I believe that Amer divested
2: Mavic away. Okay. So then Mavic means that, but surely they sold it to someone. I think they sold it to a Chinese conglomerate. Like, not trying to be funny. I think that's actually what happened. And I should probably be more educated and pull out some articles. So
0: uh, let's see. I Here's don't the say headline, wrong shit. Amer Sports Mavic's owner to purchase Envy, and that was in.
2: That was a long time ago. That was like what fifteen or that sixteen was, or something. That,
1: no, that was in nineteen. Really?
0: This article does not have. Yeah, it does. Okay. Go back on Google. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was in March. March fifteenth, twenty nineteen. It looks like. Oh no, that was back in twenty sixteen. So here's a bicycle retailer. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but back to this hub. Uh, so they improved their road hub. They made it straight pull. Uh, they engineered it so that the it sounds like the spokes don't twist when you are truing the wheel. It's an anti twist design. Uh, they. Have consistent spoke lengths so that you only need one size spoke per wheel, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, they use stainless steel bearings, which I think is cool. None of the ceramic stuff. It can be uh, a little sketchy. I mean, it's not always, but it can be a little Ooh, sketchy.
1: Ceramic bearings should be illegal. That, <laughs> that end cap has wrench flats on it. I am sure, automatically... Sure does. I'm out.
0: So hold on, they they do. I'll um, we'll get to that. So they have something called the perfect preload system, which eliminates bearing preload adjusters by using a tuned wave washer to provide just enough side load on the bearings without stressing them.
2: Do you remember when we tried this with bottom brackets? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I remember. It worked like dog shit.
0: You're, well, yeah, but you... that's a bottom bracket. That's like the the wave washer set. Like down in the fucking mud. And I'm not saying that a hub doesn't get dirt ingress, but I would, I think in my experience, a hub, like when you pull the end caps off, there's way less dirt up in there than there ever is inside of a bottom bracket.
1: If you've got dirt in your bottom bracket, you should see your doctor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like wave washers
2: are like an engineer's zip tie.
0: And then there's, yeah, it kind of is now that you say that. But the, uh, it, it's a star ratchet type of system, uh, so they wanted to stay away from poles, and they are made of a proprietary hardened steel. You can go anywhere from 40 teeth, which is 9 degrees of engagement, up to 100 teeth, which is 3.6 degrees of engagement.
1: That's 100 tooth.
0: Uh, the wheels come stock with 60 tooth, and I'm guessing that's because they'll probably sell this technology to a lower price point wheel, or use it in a lower price point wheel, if I just had to guess. But, but it's,
2: only, mean, literally, it's only road right now. Oh,
0: yep. Only road right now. Uh, I think that's cool. I hope they go to Mountain. That's, I mean, if I could, not that I don't love Industry 9, but I think that a Star Ratchet is if they can pull off like a durable, high engagement Star Ratchet, that's the hard part.
2: We've always wondered, we brought it up on the show many years ago, probably 10, 10 years ago, on, it's when the higher um, tooth count Star Ratchet stuff was coming out. And they were kind of breaking. Yeah. And the idea behind it was cool, but we thought like, well, shoot. I mean, the Star Ratchet's great. We love them. But they're obviously not built for anything. You know, 54 tooth is bad. 36 is mediocre. 24 is obviously pretty bulletproof. So why don't you just make that thing bigger? And it definitely seems like that's roughly – What's going on here? And maybe, though, the reason that they don't usually make them bigger is because it's just more surface area, which means more drag when you're free-hubbing.
0: Yeah, and they also they moved that ratchet ring inboard a few millimeters, according to this article. Um, I'm guessing that would make, make it to where they could make it a little bit bigger, maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, that's cool. If they make this in mountain uh, and it's durable enough, I mean, shit. I don't it really ride It seems relatively I don't ride simple. more than like 6 or 7 hours a week at the, the most. This so. is
1: this is what you do. You get yourself a 2015 Crave and you put a pair of their gravel wheels on there.
0: <laughs> there you go.
2: It seems relatively simple. Usually simple hub designs are the best hub designs. I'm curious about the preload system. Not a humongous fan of that because here's the issue. With anything with preload on it, it means that people are going to have to fiddle with it. And if people have to fiddle with it, they're going to do it wrong, and or they're going to completely ignore it, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. It's well, like every I would say that every every other or maybe more than every other zip wheel that came in, especially back in the day, every single one of them was loose. Every single Chris King hub was loose. So, so, so according I don't to this, like that
0: according to this article, uh, that wave washer is there so that. It says, just enough side load on the bearings without stressing them, or leaving it open to user error when adjusting or ignoring the hubs. I so guess, they, I guess like... they
1: are using a
2: wavy washer, but I guess why...
1: Hmm. Maybe maybe yeah. the other end cap screw... Maybe the free hub side end cap screws on.
2: Maybe. I guess it all just screws together, and then whatever play is left there is just taken out by a wave washer. It also looks like they had a shitload of leftover wave washers at the end of the day, <laughs> And that's what they built the little um, spring thingy on for the Ratchet. So look at those. Doesn't it look like yeah. that's like I'd, six wave washers all sandwiched together? I think
0: that's one of those that looks kind of like a tiny slinky. Like, I think those are all connected to each other. I'm guessing. Yeah, Jimmy,
2: take well one someone's, someone's getting some wave washer kickback money is what I think.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I would, I, would, uh, I would try it if it came out in Mountain and was high engagement. Uh, you know, like back in industry nine torch days I had no problems with three degree engagement totally cool I mean half a degree is awesome with Hydra but you know three is, is good
1: I mean I still ride torch hubs and I don't notice a difference going from, yeah, from yeah. Hydra to torch
0: I notice a difference going to whatever I don't know like to a DT Swiss hub or to a Chris King hub like I can I can feel the difference there and it bothers me
1: that clunk life
0: yeah that clunk life Yeah, so I think these are cool. We had a patron ask, what do we think about them and uh, how would they compare to some other brands, and I I think that if it turns out to be a mountain thing in the future, I think it would be compared, like, it would be I mean, they're
1: also $750 hubs, so why not just buy i9s? Yeah,
0: exactly. But I like it. Uh, Next on the list, WTB has released their first fat bike tire, and it is a 27.5 by 4.5 inch wide tire only.
1: There you go, Kenny.
0: Which I thought for a second, I was like, well, shit, why uh, did they go mean, with that size? Go. I don't ride
1: twenty-seven so I'm not dumb. Oh, I thought you had
2: 27.5. You just no. got 26 by like 5.25. F- they're 5.05 or something <laughs> stupid. Maybe they're 5.25 they're way too large
0: yeah but I uh, at, you know when I first saw it I was like that's why would they go with that size like how many 20s I know there are some 275 fat bikes out there but and then I started looking and apparently most fat bikes now are 275 or they're they're listed as compatible with 26 by 4.7 and 27 by 4.5 or something like compatible with that size tire so uh, yeah it looks like most fat bikes, they are made to run either of those wheel sizes.
2: The one time I ran a 27.5 fat bike, I didn't have a very good time. It was not very good. Although the conditions we have are very not groomed. But still. Yeah, exactly. I just don't understand. Rollover is not an issue in the snow. You're not going to like get caught up on a tree root in the snow. So why do we have a freaking 31 inch diameter wheel rolling around? I just don't get it.
0: I kind of wonder if it's, would be better on stuff that's a little like post hold or Is you know, it like because around. They're trying like to get around air here. Like some of the uh, some of the well, I mean, a, a bigger tire and better rollover would help you with post holes for sure. And like around here, a lot of the groom trails right around Salida are snowmobile groom trails, and so that stuff gets like a snowmobile. You know, it, it rolls over the snow, and a lot of times, uh, just the heat like a little sun and the heat from the snowmobile tracks, it turns into ice and it just freezes into these like this. It's like rumble strips. And I wonder if that would be a little smoother. I don't know. So who knows? I mean, my, my fat bike is 26 and I think it's got 3.8 tires or something dumb on it 4. like that. Oh yeah, it's the Jumbo Gem 4.0s.
1: That tire rips. I will fight you. I don't care what you say. <laughs> This is for anybody out there.
0: A groom like on groomed trails, like if you're going to go do a fat bike race on groom trails, that is the fucking tire.
1: That thing rip. I had somebody once on a Which fat bike Which tire is it? The worst tire in the world, the, the Jumbo Jim 4.0 Schwalbe.
0: Yeah, it's like the the lightest fat bike tire you can get mm. and it's it's so fucking fast on just smooth groom stuff. It it does it rips. But the minute that it's not smooth groom stuff, it does not rip. Who cares? So, uh, so I think it's cool. And let's see. There was also something about the best packaging you can... So it's basically the tires rolled up and has a ski strap around it with the label.
1: How many grams do they claim it weighs?
0: Uh, they have actual weights of two tires. The non-studded version <laughs> is 1,617 grams. The studded version is 1,693 grams.
1: Good God, it's made by WTB.
0: They make a heavy tire. <laughs>
1: let me see if I can find the weight of that jumbo gym real quick. I
0: think it's something dumb like eight or 900 grams. Uh,
1: let me
2: find the weight of the tire I bought. Holy crap. I mean, I think it's got to be 2000.
0: Aren't yours five-inch studded tires?
2: They're not studded. They're just okay. five-inch tires. All right. They're monsters. They're also shockingly thick. It'll take me a minute to find this thing. Hmm. And I would say that my tires are very average. Their volume's nice. They're really heavy, and you can tell. And I do crash sometimes, but that might be because of the snow.
0: Yeah, I'll talk about my snow experience with the e bike when we talk about stuff we've done.
1: Uh, they claim they're about mm, about a thousand ninety. So those tires weigh a pound more a piece.
0: There you go.
2: All right. I don't even, I, have... I don't even know who makes my tires. Does anyone know who makes my tires? Didn't
0: you say it was like V rubber? Like V. I it, was,
2: it was something slightly weird. I think that sounds correct to me. I'm not seeing him anymore. Probably got discontinued. Hmm. Interesting. I'm pretty sure you're correct. I could look at a picture or go look at my bike, but Ugh. yeah. Oh, V must have gotten maybe V got booted from Q.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm not finding the, anything in that size.
0: There's one called the Snowball on their website. Let's look at this. That one has studs on it. That's 2. Point, that's a uh,
2: 4.0. Yeah, let's There's a lot of deadness Okay, here. so I've got the I've got this okay, snow then. I've got the snowshoe 2XL. <laughs> it's what
1: I have. Does it tell you how much it weighs?
2: Uh it it's it's a 26 by 505 and oh, I think I've got a part number here.
0: Oh, here we go. I found it on their website. Uh, yeah, 26 by 5.05 weighs 2,410 grams. Fuck <laughs> <Walk laughs> me,
1: Kenny. Come at both me. Of my, both of my tires are lighter than yours. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, and I have tubes. Oh, God. <laughs> but I've never gotten a flat. It's very reliable. I got stands <laughs> in them. Those tubes are insanely heavy, too. They're probably at least 1,000 grams a piece as well. So I'm probably rolling around. I think I figured out that each one of my wheels is ten pounds or something. It's
1: you should just crazy. weigh your
0: wheels. I think he did that last year. I forgot. I what think they I were, did though. all
2: this stuff. It was a very long time ago, but I could probably dig up that info. I'm fairly certain that they were pretty much ten pounds. Ten pounds a wheel. I don't know what I'm doing.
0: Good God.
2: We moving on.
0: Let's. We got to move on because I have like a an inexplic- inexplicable desire to have this chain ring. It is a carbon mountain bike chain ring and it's, let's let's see what they say, forged carbon over an aluminum skeleton.
2: We talked about this already. Have we? On a this is like show. a
0: solid it looks like a solid, like a frisbee of carbon fiber.
2: Yeah, it looks disgusting and it's super expensive. Right? I think we're talking about the same thing.
0: I don't know, man. I, I, like, I like this. I think we've <laughs> talked
1: about it before and then we also talked about how the problem is, is They've got this aluminum skeleton, but that's not how neurowide chain rings wear out first. And you're just gonna peel the carbon off the outside. And I'm really happy to be proven wrong. And uh, you can meet me at the Wendy's and Slida and I'll fight you. <laughs> <Fun> <laughs> there's fact, no there's not it's a like when in Slida. One.
2: remember when a few people tried to make carbon brake rotors and how, how <laughs> well, good they worked?
0: Well, that's because that was a, a heat they they don't do what a brake rotor is supposed to do. One of the functions of a brake rotor is not performed by carbon fiber. And I would say that this does not fall into that category.
2: Well, I think in like a Formula One car, when you have, you know, a gajillion watts of heat coming out of those things and you can get them hot, they can start to work. But at bicycle speeds, which are uh, decidedly below 200 miles an hour, they
0: don't work. So, this, the way that it's made, it's got this little like aluminum ring and the carbon like the face like that would mesh with your chain the, the loading surface yeah the loading surface the aluminum come like is exposed from the carbon so that part wouldn't wear the the narrow wide part is still carbon so you know longevity wise yeah there's probably some concern there but not with the face of the ring i mean aluminum's still going to wear out but they do recommend using a dry chain lube
1: Okay, so that won't work.
0: Real conditions durability is effectively similar to a conventional aluminum chain ring.
1: Okay, and it weighs how much? Thirty nine grams grams? less
0: than a normal one.
1: Thirty nine grams less than a normal one. Yep. Well, a transmission chain ring weighs seventy six (sighs) grams. So I don't, I don't care. (sighs) Like, I just, I don't. They're also mounting it to a fucking metal crank arm.
0: That's in this picture. That's just for a picture.
1: These dudes made a carbon fiber chain ring and they put it on an aluminum
0: crank arm. Well, I think it looks cool just because I like stupid shit like this. This this just falls into my interest of stupid stuff that, I don't know, it's just dumb but it looks fucking cool. Never mind. Okay. I like it. All right. Do we want to talk about this uh, expensive steel drop bar mountain bike?
1: no okay congratulations you built a surly disc trucker
0: yeah they did okay well that's all the new stuff that i have do you guys have any new stuff you want to hate on or not hate on no Kenny? it looks
2: like ks's wireless post is kind of out so we can maybe talk about that in the future out we, like we mentioned it
1: or <clears throat> out like they're not gonna do it
2: <laughs> great question I should clarify that statement. It is in production, I think. Yeah. So anyway, looks like there's there's a review out there and yeah. Seems to be that it's basically a not quite as well executed RockShocks E verb or whatever that thing is called. What is the technical name for that C post? Is it just called an oh it's called an Axis reverb, right? Yes. Okay. So it seems to be not a single piece of it is executed better. Than that, and it's one hundred dollars less. So and if you're the I'm kind of sure person that finding that could, parts
1: is going to be way easier.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. So if you're spending seven, if you're kind of the person that can spend seven hundred dollars on a seat post, you're also probably the kind of person that can spend eight hundred and fifty dollars on a seat post, in my opinion. So
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Sounds like this is not a surprise, but maybe we should steer clear. Of that one, especially if it's based on my past experiences with KS, which have been less than positive as far as reliability goes. All right. I think that's all the news that I have.
0: All right. We want to go to some listener questions. Yes. Yes. We have a web form entry from Tim, not uh, the one that we worked with. A different Tim wants to know, RockShox Rush RC Damper. What the fuck is that? What are those? (laughs) Uh, so, I just Googled it real quick. It looks like it's a springy damper. It's got a spring on top of, uh, they call it a spring backed IFP. So, I, I don't, it looks like it's in kind of the mid level stuff. Like the Rockshocks has it on their website in a pike.
1: But what level pike?
0: That's what I'm looking at.
1: Oh, it's just the pike. It's
0: just the pike
1: you wonder if it's phasing out old charger like if you're going to have a charger 3.1 or whatever we're at now and then like a rush damper
0: kind of what it looks like
1: it's probably not going to replace the ultra low end stuff that will probably still have some form of
2: motion control would be my educated guess i'm not like a super duper expert when it comes to the actual like internal guts of all the rock shock dampers in particular um, but yeah it just seems to be a, essentially a pared down charger i'm right at i'm looking at an exploded view right now oh nope that's that's my bad that's a charger rc here we go rush rc oh okay it looks pretty basic Yep. that's uh
0: <laughs> maybe that's going to be the new motion control
2: maybe it's a shaft and a tube with a spring that's it so from what i can tell someone was saying it was similar to a fit but that's not how a fit works anyway we don't I'm need reading to something that, that says that it's hole.
0: it's similar to the fox grip damper that's but what it know.
2: seemed like on the surface to me. So it means that it probably also bleeds a little bit. Like it'll bleed and suck up whatever fluid it needs, essentially. So yeah. it's going to share the bath oil, I believe. Again, I have not read any of this stuff. I can be completely and totally wrong. But me completely guessing by looking at one picture, <laughs> it looks like a spring-backed IFP that probably shares damper oil. So I'm sure it's cool. The grip is a perfectly reasonable damper. That's relatively simple. And easy to manufacture and pretty cheap and pretty
1: reliable. There we go. Do we want to rapid fire through some of these Instagram questions?
0: Uh, I want to go to one patron question we had. You can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month, which actually Patreon lets you join for free now, but you don't, I mean, like all of the posts that we make are generally like patron only. So, you know, they like. I don't know, quarterly posts that I make on there, but uh let's No, see.
1: wait, we rarely make a patron only post.
0: Any post that we make is patron only.
1: On Patreon? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I I was thinking patron patron only content. Yeah, we yeah, don't we really don't
0: really have. Uh, our patrons did get to vote on our t-shirt colors. Uh so, you know, occasionally there's stuff like that. And if, you know, like if I do a YouTube video that I want to post on like a certain day, I'll go ahead and like make it patron viewable. So, you know, you have a few uh, a few benefits there to joining, but mostly, you know, you get to chat with other patrons and support the show. So uh, let's go to Jeff's book that he wrote us. <laughs> here are a couple of show topic suggestions, a mildly technical question, and some feedback that have been on my mind. You decide what to air. We'll go through one at a time because there are five here. Mildly technical question. Pre-ride power meter calibration. Why? Is it necessary? I have a 4i crank power meter on my road bike and a cork on my mountain bike. Both offer an app for calibration that in no way interfaces with Strava or Coros, both of which I use for workout logging. My Wahoo computer will calibrate both meters. The results when compared side by side don't seem to be very different, and I guess as long as the difference is consistent, it really doesn't matter anyway. Thoughts?
2: So I have some thoughts. I'm not a super duper expert when it comes to the latest, greatest power meters and the latest firmware, but as of like a couple of years ago, let's call it in the cork world, which is uh, really the only one anybody should be using anyway, (laughs) that one had, you were still at the time supposed to do a pre-ride calibration. So basically you get on your bike for the first time, you're about to go ride and you're supposed to calibrate it. And I think you do it via like your head unit. So your Garmin or your Wahoo. And I think it had you – I don't know if you had to have like an arm in a certain position or something like that. But after, yes. you did the, after you did that, then it would do all the temperature compensation and all the stuff and whatever, all the crap that happens during your ride as things change. It handles that automatically in the back end. You don't need to like stop again and calibrate because you rode up a mountain or anything like that in theory. That's how it was supposed to work. I don't know on the newest ones – I wouldn't be surprised if they're completely hands-off now that you just don't do anything, but don't quote me on that.
1: Yeah, you, you don't have to do pre-ride calibrations like you used to. Um, you're able to, but you're not required to. Cool. That's kind of what I thought.
0: Yeah, I remember back in Memphis <clears throat> days, so this is like, I don't know, before 2015, uh, I could go for a ride. So this is, you know, like older, older, like almost 10 years ago, cap quark power meters and if the temperature changed drastically during the ride i would have to recalibrate it it would start to read i think when it got hotter it would start to read high a little bit i don't remember but
2: i mean that would make sense things get flexier when it gets hot right and as things flex more your little strain gauge would be thinking that it's you're applying more torque right
0: yeah yeah so that makes
2: sense in my brain at least
0: yeah um yeah jeff i would say just Go ahead and keep doing the pre-ride calibration. You may not need to with the quark. You know, do an experiment. Ride it in on, like, a cold morning and then ride it on a hot afternoon and see if it seems like it's any different. I would guess that it would be pretty negligible if it is, but...
1: And I think he's also asking, like, his two power meters don't really align with one another, and that's because one of them doesn't say quark on the side. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, Look, there's just... Kenny said it nicely, but Yeah
0: yeah i mean we've if i didn't years, see we, if i didn't see used.
1: a gajillion people have
2: problems with other people's power meters i wouldn't have this stance and you're going to think that i'm just being a curmudgeon but i just see so many people with so many problems out of other power meters and not that corks don't have their problems i've seen plenty of quarks that just you know friggin' die
1: or have other issues but uh quark just takes care of it and it's also pretty rare Yeah. Yeah. To give you an idea, I had a stages that, in a span of probably four years, went back on a nearly yearly basis and it never worked right. And I had a cork for 10 years and it went back once.
0: Yeah. And that was because
1: I didn't ride it for a really long time and I was getting ready to sell it and I put a new battery in and it didn't wake up.
2: 100%
1: scientific. SRAM is ten times better than all the other brands. <laughs> there you go.
0: All right, uh, we have
1: here. I'll read this one because I can answer this. Uh, show topic idea: What's going on with the used bike market? Why have sales seem to have almost stopped? I hate the fact that I have a perfectly maintained four-year-old eight thousand dollar or eight K when new or eight thousand dollars when new spot ride hanging on my wall that I can't sell for what the parts would have cost me used a couple of years ago. Are riders so drowning in American doll hairs that they just want or need to spend money on a new bike? Are manufacturers slashing prices so deeply that even $3,500 used bikes won't sell? So, I'm going to give you some really tough love. Um, I know a lot about used bikes. I'm sorry, but you have a terrible bike to sell. I'm just going to start there. I, I'm i sorry. Like I'm going to give you just the real skinny on it. I don't care what you own, and this isn't just a spot thing but it's hard to sell a Yeti to someone in Tennessee. Yeti has grown and grown and grown and they have way more brand recognition and everyone shits on track and specialized and giant, but there is not education before purchase necessary when you're selling one of the really big, well-established brands. Cannondale would fall into this as well, but I would say in their mountain bike world, a lot of their lefty and AI offset garbage really turns people away. Um, with that out of the way, understand again, you have a bike that no one knows what the fuck it is.
0: Yeah, outside of like, I don't know, the Colorado front range area.
2: Well, four people on Pink Bike know exactly what it is, but they don't have any money.
1: Or they already own one. Yeah. Um, and here's another thing. The fact that used parts were bonkers three years ago doesn't mean shit today. You know, it, it let's talk about houses in two thousand eight. Let's let's talk about cars right now. You have Ford dealers marking up Raptor's forty k over list because they can, right? Well, they can because people will pay that. Does that mean that your $8,000 Rive is now a $3,000 bike? Yeah, because that's what people are willing to pay for it. And with that, we have a couple of other things that have happened over the last few years. And I don't care what your thoughts are on COVID in general, but tough shit, buckle up. COVID happened. 2020, shit, I can't take my family to Europe this year. I'm going to go ahead and buy a new bike. 2021, shit, I probably shouldn't take my family to Europe this year either. I'm going to replace my mountain bike too. 2022 rolls around, shit. Things are kind of iffy. I'm going to replace my gravel bike. So what happened is the people that had new bike money said, fuck you and bought new bikes. The people that had not fuck you money, they bought all those used bikes at a deal-ish because bikes were kind of hard to get, so your used bike was at a premium then. So it was really easy to sell your two-year-old tarmac and move into a new one if you could snag a new one because you knew you could sell your old one for pretty premium.
2: And also, the people that never bought bikes...
1: That's that's where I'm bikes. going. Is I don't want to go to the gym, or that more, less... less an affluent person's like, crap, I can't go on my four-state park road trip this summer because things are going to get weird. I'll just go buy a $5,000 mountain bike, whether that's new or used. And mountain bike with my buddies this summer because my old hardtail kind of sucks, and I don't have as much fun when I go out with them. And then the person that was just going to the gym is like, I'm going to buy an $1,800 chisel or... Uh, what's the what's the funner bike a fuse or a roscoe or whatever and that saw the whole spectrum of prices and now what's happening is all these brands threw down and placed these huge po's and you got to understand that there's a huge lag time from when you commit and place a deposit for a spot in production to say, yes, I am placing a deposit for you to produce me 400 frames in this two-month timeline. You're reserving production space. The timeline from there to when that bike lands via boat is huge. I don't know the number. If I knew it, I would tell you I'm not just not saying it, Um, but it's long. So you factor all that stuff together. Everybody bought a fucking bike. Everybody wanted to like every brand wanted to sell more bikes and then people stopped buying bikes. I mean, I don't, again, to say I don't care, but, like, half the European countries have been shooting missiles at each other for a while now, and people are getting a little concerned, and everybody has a bike that wants a bike, and people that bought bikes that thought they wanted bikes are trying to sell bikes, but the people that are trying to sell their bikes are trying to sell their bikes while Specialized is trying to sell their bikes. I mean, you want to make somebody cry? Tell them that their Turbo Levo isn't worth dick. Because they paid eight grand for it, Specialized has a new one on sale at sixty three hundred. You could probably find a bike shop that overbought them that would sell you one for fifty eight. So somebody wants to buy your used one for four. I mean, it's just it sucks, but like that's what we're in. We were in a seller's market three years ago, two years ago, a year ago, even. We are in a buyer's market now. You want something, you can probably find it on Deal. You know we. We're back to that time where we, we're an industry that's generally ran with a surplus and heavy discounting and bro deals. And very quickly, the industry snapped to hard retail, buy it if you can, tough shit if you can't find one. And now we're back to pretty heavy discounting. And I think that a lot of people just became extremely delusional in that three-year period. Not saying that you are, Jeff, but a lot of people <laughs> became extremely delusional and thought like, oh, bikes sell for a 1000 less than new now. And, and that's just not the case, and it hasn't been the case if we if we ignore a three year segment of the cycling industry. It's just not ever been the case. So,
0: all right. Very generally speaking, it.
1: if you
2: rode your bike any significant amount of time, you put any mileage on your bike whatsoever. Pretty much the best case scenario after one year, and we'll call it a thousand miles. One year mountain bike needs a little bit of maintenance. The absolute best case scenario in normal world land, that is 33 to 50% off of retail. That's just what it's going to be. And if there's now a new model that replaces yours, then it's worth even less than that. Yeah. It sucks. That's just how it is.
0: Yep. And that's the case. Like a four-year-old spot ride, there's now a new spot ride that has a little bit more travel. So yeah, that one's out of date. And yeah, and like, I know, I don't remember what spot was discounting their bikes, but Around like their Black Friday, like Thanksgiving to Christmas, they've had stuff on huge discounts. So, you know, people that wanted a Spot Rive, they got one for way less than $8,000 and they got the new one. So now, yeah, like your $8,000 first gen Spot Rive, just people don't want to pay much money for it.
2: So, not that you should try to game the system when it comes to buying bicycles, just like you shouldn't really treat your primary residence as some type of investment that you're going to make a gajillion dollars on. It just is what it is. If you happen to move jobs, move a city, whatever, like you got to buy or sell a house, you don't have a whole lot of choice. You just do it, right? Now you should own a house because it's probably, generally speaking, a wise long-term investment, but you trying to like game the system and day trade your primary residence, probably not a great plan. Same thing with bicycles. You, know, you got to buy a bike when you need a bike and If something looks really cool, then yeah, go buy it. But if you do want to game the system, and I'm using that term very loosely, the best thing you could probably do is after most most models run for three years, maybe four. So after year one, where people have ridden it, you can get good feedback and you go, okay, cool. I really like this new whatever bike it is. So at the beginning of year two, you buy it and then you ride the bejesus out of it for one season, one and a half seasons, and then sell it before the new model comes out. Like, that's that's your best case scenario. But even then, like, we're talking about such a small amount of money that you could, like, potentially gain. But if you are into the, hey, I want to game the system the best that I can, that's my only advice to you.
1: Yeah, and, and to give you an idea, like, Spot, their website doesn't work because you the bike loader or the bike builder won't load. Well, that's hold on your bike can spot. No, I didn't close it. I accidentally made it its own page. I don't know. Sometimes this mouse doesn't click.
0: Yeah, so like that ride that you're looking at, the one with transmission is was-
1: fifty four hundred. It was seventy one and now it's fifty four hundred. Yeah. You know, and like Kenny's talking about, you know, when you're buying a bike and you're thinking about reselling it, and this isn't the only model, but like right now a rebel rascal that's normally seven grand is fifty-six, one that's normally fifty-five is forty-four. And you yeah, haven't been paying attention. This bike was released in twenty nineteen. Like this bike went four full seasons. So, you know, you gotta decide like if I buy a Rascal right now on sale, yeah, it's a great deal, but you're you're really not thinking too hard if you look at this bike and you say, Hey, this is the last bike in the Rebel lineup that doesn't have transmission compatibility with UDH and um it's I on sale.
0: They updated the rear end to be... They
1: updated the Ranger. Oh, okay. But they this bike has coasted since the brand launched. So, you know, you got to look at that. Um, I say we sh- save this one for another show. Okay. Same with this one. I think we save the rest of these and we rally through some of these Instagram things.
0: All right. How long? How
1: long is it? I don't know. Roughly 50 minutes, I'm guessing. Well, don't worry. I don't have anything to talk about this week, so...
0: Why don't we just save Instagram for next week? Because and-
1: some of these are really funny. Well, let's do one. We'll tickle the audience. Well, the first three I can give like rapid-fire answers for. Did Matt ever have his derriere hair lasered away? No. I still have butt hair. I still get terrible chafing. And now that I've gained like 20 pounds, I chafe even worse than ever. All Boudreaux's right. butt paste is amazing. Matt's nose hair regimen, or removal regimen. Um, my nose itches when I start recording, and then I have to go pluck nose hairs during the show. That's the I, I, re, I do nose hair removal during the podcast only.
2: <laughs> That's probably what the audience should do. The audience should collectively get together and gift, get Matt a gift card for butthole lasering, and uh, maybe also they could... After it's done butthole lasering, they can jam that up your nose and maybe laser a couple of your nose hairs as well. That
1: would be fine. Um, With the butthole laser. Uh, With yeah, the butthole you can, laser. You can put the butthole laser in my nose. Actually, Although no. Actually, imagine
2: if your job is to laser butthole hairs and you have it inserted into someone's ass, you might be
1: using it wrong, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's whatever. You don't know where my hair grows, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> Describe in detail the most soul-crushing experience you've ever had getting dropped from a group rider race. Um, I had to pee during Ruger Bay, and no one helped push me. And by the time I was done peeing, I was like 100 yards off the back. And for, I can't remember, so I'm going to give a range. It was like five or eight miles. I kept them in sight, but I could not catch back on.
0: That's soul-crushing for sure. Soul-crushing. I can say my very first real road race, The uh, they ran the women's Race with the master, the older master's men. And at one point during the race, we're going down this hill at a pretty high rate of speed. And there's a hill, like it's like a big dip in the road. Like, you know, you go downhill 100 feet and then back uphill 50 feet or 100 feet. And there was a tractor waiting to pull out in the road. And everyone's going, No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You can hear people saying, Don't do it. And the dude pulls this tractor out in like right in front of us. And I think everyone's going to slow down and we're going to get around this tractor safely and then we're going to start racing again. That was not the case. Because we're with a bunch of dudes, because I'm pretty sure a women's race would not do this if it was just women, uh, they attacked the tractor. Not attacked, like, got off and beat the tractor. I mean, like... The tractor
1: pulled out and they, like, the tractor pulled out.
0: Yeah, the tractor pulled out and these fucking old farts just, like, fucking hammered up the next hill like while half of the group is putting on their brakes so they don't run into a tractor these people are like swerving into the opposite lane and just going as hard as they can so it just blew the whole field up and i ended up just like riding with a couple of dudes into the finish line so it it fucking sucked
1: you got one kenny i haven't been dropped so all right (laughs) kenny's really good at everything (laughs) Um,
0: I can't there's another like a group ride one where I was doing like one of those group rides it's like a race and like one of the strongest dudes in Memphis uh, anyone in Memphis it was Bryant Funston super strong guy is this
1: the brake rub story
0: no no he he attacked and uh, like a dumbass I just kind of I just followed him like I tried to bridge the gap and like stay on his wheel and he looked back at me and he does this like little smirk and I was like, God, I'm fucked. <laughs> and I was. Like, I I think I got dropped all the way after that. But it was, uh, I just can't help myself sometimes.
1: Can we rapid fire some more of these?
0: All right. If we're going to rapid fire our... Uh, I ball.
1: don't have anything to talk about. So uh, I
0: wanted to talk about meat bread.
1: Okay. Let's do... Uh, uh, that one's really big. We talked about Envy Inner Drive. Uh, let's see.
0: Someone wants to know, is the crest open?
1: always open it's you always open no shoes or skis never um, closes i could be wrong but i don't see any pro riders using pro dh riders using carbon bars yeah envy makes one like they I exist think a, i think a few people
2: do it's it's pretty 50 50 just like i'm barely certain i don't like keep super duper close tabs on everything but i think the field is kind of 50 50 on tubeless by the
1: way as well yeah but when you have to run like 97 psi it doesn't really matter I guess, yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, at some point, you don't need pinch flat protection when you need to run enough pressure that you're never going to pinch flat. There's nothing
2: super duper advanced in the DH world, with the exception of playing around with, obviously, frame geometries and suspension kinematics and actual suspension itself and suspension tuning. But the rest of the bicycle stuff, there's nothing really that exciting about them. They're not running crazy fancy wheels. Um, Yeah. Half the bikes are aluminum, to be honest, uh, probably from like a prototype standpoint, just because nobody actually buys DH bikes. By the way, little fact for you folks out there. If you're a dealer for Santa Cruz, you can't actually buy V10s, even if you want to. Like, hey, uh, you pick up the phone, call Santa Cruz, like, hey, I got a gajillion dollars over here and I got 500,000 locations. I'd like to buy a V10, please. And they're like, nope, they're not for sale. So pretty weird because no one actually buys DH bikes. It's not a, That's not a dig at Santa Cruz. It's just saying that people don't buy DH bikes.
1: No, I mean, I know a guy that rode the new Enduro a couple years ago when it was released, and he is a bike designer, and he's like, yeah, I don't need a downhill bike anymore. He's like, if I was young and stupid and still going really fast, it might be cool. He's like, the Enduro does everything I need to do at the bike park. Um, I have one more I want to knock out. How does Matt's food rule of everything being super sandwich align or conflict with the cube rule of food? And then there's a follow-on question. So the cube rule is stupid. There's only two types of food. There's soup or sandwich, and everything falls into that. And then, uh, so not that Brian asked that. And then, if a Sloppy Joe falls to the plate and you use a fork to eat the meat, is it now a soup? Yes. The Sloppy Joe is a sandwich when the bread is delivering the meat to your mouth, and when you're eating the meat off the plate with a fork, you're eating meat soup. It's that simple. If Don't make your life hard. It's a soup or a sandwich. It, it's it's super simple.
0: All right. We have to talk about stuff that we've done because I have things to talk about.
1: Has Kenny made bread yet? Nope. I need to. You're not allowed on the podcast again until you've made bread.
0: <laughs> so, Kenny, the other day I made meat bread.
2: I'm very excited about this. I want to hear about it. Give me details. So,
0: so we had uh, a little bit like a serving of elk stew left over in the fridge. And I saw on Instagram someone making, a, I don't know, like pizza bread. Like they put pizza ingredients in a bunch of chunks of bread dough and then baked it. I was like, fuck, I don't have pizza ingredients, but I want to make something like that. And so I made up a really, actually that, that recipe, Kenny, that I sent you, the King Arthur easiest loaf of bread you'll ever bake. I basically mm-hmm. made that. And then I spread the stew out like I, I flattened it out into like a rectangle, and I spread the stew out on it, and I rolled it up, and I put it how, in. How do you,
2: how do you flatten, how do you flatten a soup?
0: And so I took the dough, and I laid the dough out in like a rectangle.
2: Oh, I, I don't had like this like course. I had this mental picture of you like just slopping like, soup on like, like, the counter. Yeah, so like so just soup, just sm- you're like smacking soup with a spoon or something.
0: No, no, and the soup, the stew was like super meaty. Like there wasn't a lot of liquid with it. Okay. And so I spread that across the flattened out dough and I rolled it up, and then I put it in a pan and baked it. It was just a loaf of stew and bread dough, and uh, it was it was pretty amazing.
2: That's pretty yep. cool. I, Are you I, worried I, about like kind of over
1: overcooking the already cooked meat at that point?
0: No, not really.
1: No, because bread cooks to like what 160 degrees?
0: No, it cooks to 190.
1: Sure, but yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, stew is already like
1: cooked to death.
0: Yeah, it's already really cooked, so yeah, like you're you're not really gonna hurt it by cooking it a little more. So there was a uh, meat bread. Um, I rode the E, the uh, that specialized Levo SL. Uh, I put my studded tires on it, and just my initial impressions on hard packed snow, like snow on a road that uh, someone had driven on recently like, since the last snow, did fucking perfect. Absolutely awesome. It was exactly the amount of assist, like, basically I was putting out the same amount of effort pedaling up the road that I would have if I was hiking up the road. So, what that meant was I didn't, like, I was dressed for hiking in that temperature, which I guess, I think it was around, I don't know, it was in the 30s, it was pretty cold. Uh, Upper 20s, low 30s. So, the clothing I was wearing was appropriate for the effort that I was putting out which is exactly what I wanted uh snow that had been driven on and then had like another inch of snowfall on top of it got a little bit sketchy and then snow that had been driven on like once with like a four-wheeler and then had a couple of snows on top like it wasn't going there that that wasn't going to happen
1: also andreas studded tires look like large gravel tires
0: yeah they're 2.1 so yeah. they're not um definitely not made for going through unpacked snow at all but it was just a good experiment to let me know that you know if i were to get a an e-bike for hunting probably wouldn't use it much for winter hunting Um, just because yeah it's definitely got some limitations there i mean if i had fuck you money i would have you know a summer one and a winter one like a fat bike like yours and then like a summer one but uh that's that's definitely not even one e bike is not in the budget. So, uh, but yeah, it was a good experiment. I liked it. It's good to know that that would work for what I want to do as far as not getting overheated if I were to use it. But that's uh that's basically it. I mean, I've just been I've been out hunting and haven't had much luck. So, I don't have a lot to talk about.
2: Well, I can't wait for you to ride that bike when you're actually just like riding fun trails and I want well, to see what you think a, about it.
0: It's a demo bike. I mean I'm I'm taking it back tomorrow. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. But I thought what maybe if,
1: it was like a, a long term loaner or no, something no, like that. No, it's just No, it was like a no one's gonna rent this. You're welcome to use it for a few days. Yeah. Cool.
0: So what have you been up to?
1: I rode my
2: fat bike for the first time this season and it was pretty fun. There wasn't a whole lot of snow down yet, but definitely a decent base it wasn't super well-groomed, but there was not enough snow for it to really matter. So a little bit of sliding, especially on the road. Oddly enough, usually it's the road that's in decent shape because um, snowmobiles and just hikers and other fat bikers and people on sleds and all that kind of stuff. It's a fairly popular spot, so the, and the road's uh, kind of a full-width road. So usually most of the road is fairly well-packed in, but it was, you know, mediocre this time but the single track was actually pretty decent it was quite narrow i don't think it had been officially ever groomed by whatever device they use i don't know if it's a uh, someone with a snowmobile or some other weird thing i think they drag something behind it i don't really know how it works but anyway mm-hmm. the single track was not really groomed it was just basically two fat tire widths wide and that was it so you so kind it was of like full time skinny you, yeah you kind of uh you just it's like riding a slot car and you just have to like go along with it, because if you try to fight it, you're going to die. So that was interesting, but pretty fun. It was a a good, just nice to be out there and pedaling a bike. I haven't pedaled a bike in a minute, but it was fun. My e-fat bike, for those that don't know, it is an Otso Do you remember what I have? Arctodos. Arctodos. Don't know how to pronounce it. But anyway, it's a steel fat bike carbon fork made by... Uh Otso. made by Otso, and Otso is owned, I assume owned by Wolftooth or something along those lines. Is that they're, accurate? They're sister companies. I don't know
1: who owns who. Sure.
2: Okay. There's some relationship there with the folks over at Wolftooth. And yeah, it's a it's a neat bike. It does what I need it to do. And, and you yeah, installed your own motor on it. I did, yeah. It's a CYC Photon, which is kind of like a Bafang mid drive, but not shitty. And it runs on two DeWalt batteries. And they
1: do not endorse that.
2: <laughs> well, CYC, I have zero affiliation with, and uh, I can say whatever I want. And you can 100% put two drill batteries on there. It's not a problem.
1: <laughs>
2: totally within their voltage spec, and everything is fine. And it works shockingly well. It's not like a ton of runtime, because two, even like of the biggest, monstrous DeWalt batteries that they make, is really not quite enough to run a fat e-bike in snow for any huge amount of time. But to give you an idea, I did like maybe it's like between a thousand and fifteen hundred 1500 feet of climbing and it's snow and it's a five inch tire. And then I just descended back down again. It's about a 45 minute uh, ride, maybe as long as an hour. And I think I used about 75% of the battery. I did have a couple of spares in my pack just in case. Oh, I got a, one other thing my light, which I really do like a lot. It is a, oh, i got so many brands running around in my head. It's not Glowworm. It's a Glowworm. I was going to say Gemini, but it's not that one. I've had a Gemini in the past. So it's a Glowworm. pretty cool light. It's a USB-C standardized connector, which is really cool. So if you want to be a dork like I am, you can have the choice of running other batteries to run your light head, which is really cool. It's got like wireless stuff on it. If you want to connect wirelessly and connect multiple units, all the things you can do GoPro mounts. Like it's just a nice, it's a nicely made, not Chinese light. However, and I don't know if it's really the fault of the light or the battery or whatever. I'm, I've not been a huge fan of their battery in general. It seems really cool on the surface because it's got USB-C. You could use it as like, you know, a power bank to charge a phone, or you can even charge like a MacBook a little ways with it, which is kind of cool uh, it's got a display on it, shows you percentage and all the things. But in this case, it was too cold. And I say too cold, it was probably 25, not like bitter or cold. And the thing just wouldn't even turn on. And I don't think I've had that problem in the past, which is weird. And also over the past six months or so, the screen will sometimes just show gibberish on it, on the display, like a bunch of characters that don't make any sense. So that's pretty weird. I don't know what's going on with that. But anyway, generally speaking, I like the light. Uh, maybe not as big of a fan of the battery. So I had to, it was a dusk ride, so not a huge deal. I just rode back in with my bar light, not a huge problem. And uh, I only ate shit once and that was on the DH. And this DH is like pretty cool. Uh, I kind of want other people to ride it. It's really neat. So Fat Bike Descending is pretty crazy. And this trail is, I would say it's definitely a moderate trail. Um, It's definitely a solid blue trail, like single track on a mountain bike and then when it's snowy it's really rowdy but yeah ate shit once i don't really know what i did wrong to be honest i think i barely got out of that track and yeah once that front tire turns it just puts you down yep <laughs> and i hit uh, i did hit a boulder which was not a super good time but with your body or with the bike with with my body yeah, i bounced off it pretty good though <laughs> uh Yeah, but that's pretty much everything I've been up to. I did. We should probably shut the show down. It's been like two hours.
0: Yeah, it's going to take me two days to edit this.
2: Yeah, sorry. I did. I don't work on bikes a lot anymore because I'm doing other business-related stuff these days, but I did build a couple of wheels today, and uh, they're burly as hell. Some customer that likes to build crazy high-powered e-bikes somehow found me and wanted me to build them a burly wheel set, so I did. Dt350 hybrid hubs with uh, which requires DT 2.34 millimeter spokes which are some gauge that I don't know 12 or 13 gauge and WTB i35 some type of e-bike rim with like triple walls it's freaking insane and they're offset drilled it's kind of dope but I built those up and it's just been a minute since I built wheels and uh, it's still a lot of fun I really enjoy building wheels it like brings me to a Zen place. I did also use, I think I've used it for spoke replacement here and there, but I've never fully built a wheel set with them. And I used the Stan spoke powder this time. And it is, uh, it's medium. I don't really know what to think about it. I haven't built enough with them, but it definitely worked as like a anti-seize type thing, which is pretty cool. They built up pretty nice. Nothing weird there. It's a little bit messy. Like that powder just gets everywhere. And I don't know, should probably read some instructions, but I don't like doing that. <laughs> I just kind of use my finger, like I would dip the spoke in the powder bucket and then I would just kind of use my fingers to like, uh, I don't know if just maybe the oils or the moisture from your fingers or the heat or whatever, but it kind of, it's like if you're a climber and you dip into uh, whatever that powder is that they use and like, yeah, the chalk and it'll turn into, it kind of like almost turns into a little bit of a paste over time. Right. Um, it kind of does that on the spoke, so it did exactly what I thought it should do, and it seemed reasonable, but inevitably just that powder gets everywhere. That's really my only complaint It's just the cleanliness of it, uh, but yeah, built up fine, and it's fun
1: building wheels, so that's it for me.
0: All right. We're going to skip patrons tonight because uh, it's we've been recording for forever.
1: <laughs> you should know. Just copy and paste them in from a different show.
0: <laughs> okay, and uh, thank you, Jordan, for joining Patreon.
1: And if you want to do that, you can do it for as little as $3 a month or not. I don't know. Whatever. You're an adult. Just make sure you close your eyes and imagine things while driving, while we're talking. Don't do that.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you all for listening, and good night.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show.
0: There's some shit coming out of your brake pads.